0: All right, so I think my lens is a little cloudy. Hmm. Wipe it off. There we go. Better. All right. Very grateful, very thankful for the power and the presence of love that shines in our awareness we are grateful to recognize our wholeness and our holiness that we are broadcasting stations for the holy spirit that infinite love and pure intelligence are our identity our true nature is patience and kindness and willingness so we're tapping into that right now we join together to be of greater service to ourselves And to our clients, to all humanity, to our brothers and sisters, everyone, we are sharing the benefits with all, we let it be, and so it is, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, so grateful. All right, so this is your opportunity to ask questions of me that can serve your clients, can serve you in having uh, greater success as a spiritual counselor. So, who has a question?
1: I do, Jennifer. Um- just give me a minute to turn up my volume so that I can hear what your response is. All right. There we go. Um, I had a, uh, Tammy and I have been reading every day the uh, section on trust. I'm sorry. Let me. There we go. Um, the section on trust. And a couple things are coming up. So I didn't know if, you, if we could take time to look at that. Um,
0: sure. Are you teaching about this uh, in, your, uh, in your counseling sessions or something like that? No. No, we just decided to
1: uh, <laughs> trust. Tammy and I were talking one day and trust was up really big for both of us. Sure. And so I jokingly said, we should read it every day for a week. And she said, okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now, let's see. Or even what I would recommend to you both is just to take a paragraph at a time and look at it deeply each day and see and discuss it what, and see what it brings for you. But yeah, answer any question you have about it. Well, for me, particularly,
1: sentence five, and I usually I I, I work up from the premise that if if I'm not understanding it, it's because there's something in there that I'm resisting. Um, so anyhow, paragraph five, sentence five. mm Mm-hmm. Um. It says, it's talking about the third stage and the period of relinquishment, Mm -hmm. uh, which is often interpreted as giving up the desirable and can endanger a lot of conflict. Um, There is, however, no point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken. And this is the sentence that I'm having problems with. Therefore, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which the teacher of God feels called upon to sacrifice his own best interest on behalf of fruit. Um, and I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not connecting I guess you know what 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 best interest is it talking about, and I don't know why would there be a sacrifice. I'm just not. It's just not making sense. Sure. What's overlapping?
0: Yes. I'm just, there's a little bit of static and I'm just not sure where that comes from. So maybe you can kind of mute and unmute as you're sharing. Cause I, if I think it might come from something to do with your microphone, but I, I pulled up the, the, the text that you're talking about here on the share screen. And so the period of overlap is this, um, that that the overlap is between the time when you realize what's valuable and what's valueless and when you don't so it says here there so if we go to sentence 4 actually you know what let's go to the beginning so think of it it's it's called a period of relinquishment And what we're really relinquishing here is our attachment to the valueless. But we don't yet know what's valuable and what's valueless. But we're... it's So I, I think of it this way, Beth. I think of it as... Let's see, what can I use? I'll just use this since I have it right here. It's like, what if I... No, I'm not going to use that. Um, I'm going to use, Oh, I'll use this. This is my cat's toy here, right? And so um, let's say that I think this is really valuable. It could be anything. It could be a relationship. It could be uh, getting into a bikini. It could be, you know, anything. Could be smoking. It could be uh, watching um, uh, porno. It could be anything, right? So this is something that's valuable to me, and spirit's gonna find a way to start, like trying to get it from us, you know. And the the best way to get it from us is to help us to see that it's not valuable, that it's a distraction, that it's actually causing our suffering. That it's not helpful, etc., etc., etc. So that, that's how spirit works. Because the the think of like the very best parent uh, is working with a child who is hurting themselves with something. You know, it could be candy. <clears throat> it could be um, obsessing about some doll or some TV show or squeezing their cat and and torturing their cat or something, the best parent is going to help the child see that what they're doing is not in their own best interest. So that the child will make their own decision to give it up rather than saying, I'm taking that, you can't have that anymore, right? Because if the parent does that, What's the child going to do? The child's going to start screaming. The child is going to say the parent is an ogre and on and on and on, right? The child will blame the parent into eternity. You're ruining my life. You're a horrible, horrible parent. You don't really love me. You just care about yourself. But if the parent can help them see that this is actually not what they want, and the child can go, Oh, you're right. This is not helping me here. Help me by taking it from me, taking my attachment to it from me, getting it out of my sight. Right? That's what the, the, the greatest gift would be that the child would of their own willingness say, Oh, Yes, I do not want this anymore. Thank you for helping me see that Now, I saw Araba have an aha moment. It was like your head snapped back, and you went like this. Oh, now you could have it could have been that you remembered, "Oh, I have to get coffee when I go to the store later but <laughs> but maybe it was something related to this, so I'm just curious araba did you have an aha relating as a parent maybe or
2: I was more so um, thinking about this overlap period, this where you recognize that something's not valuable yet, but then you, you have this phase where you're not quite ready to let go of it. Um, And even though you know that it's not really aligning with your goals, it it just was reminding me of the whole self-sabotage challenge and sort of the period that you then recognize that this is not serving you. And yet you are like, oh, but if I do this, then then I'll lose. Like I'm losing something where you still have a sense that I might be losing something um, rather than really understanding that you are are gaining mm-hmm
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm anybody else have a thought about this so far does it make
1: sense what I'm saying Beth yeah the child the child analogy was was good especially since I'm spending so much time with my grandson lately
0: yeah <laughs> Tina, I see your hand up. Yes. Um, I can relate to what,
3: what Araba just said. And it, um, it makes sense to me that I'm, I'm in a period of overlap right now, uh, with with self-medication. I can see that it's not valuable, but I'm, I'm still, I still have an attachment that it, it feels like I'm giving up something that's dear to me or valuable to me, like, um, What was that last sentence that that Beth read that um, feels like we're making a sacrifice? Exactly. Really not, but it's just that it feels like a sacrifice. Exactly. Something good. Yeah.
0: Yes. And that's why the only thoughts I've shared with you, Tina, are let it be neutral. Don't make it bad and wrong. You know, because I 100% relate to your experience. Uh, been there, done that in my own ways, uh, thousands of times. So, just my learning has been: don't make it wrong or bad. Just drink a big glass of water beforehand. Say a prayer before. Do the things in the what to do in case of meltdown, and but tell yourself you know, I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I'm a grown-up; I get to choose, you know, don't fight the ego uh, when the attachment is super strong because it only makes us act out worse. Think of the child. If you say to the child, you've had enough candy and you grab the candy from them, they are going to have a temper tantrum, just an absolute temper tantrum. We don't want that in, in ourselves, because then, you know, we're going to drink even more, we're going to do even more. So um, letting it be neutral, and just be the gentle observer, because it, it is, here's why it's about trust and faith. It's about having trust in your willingness to align with the holy self. I trust in your willingness to align with the Holy Self, Tina. It's very, very, very strong in you. I have no doubt that you are going to succeed and be a superstar. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. And and hurrying doesn't help. There's no race. Time is meaningless. And just right now, the thing is to love ourselves free of all limiting beliefs. Sorry, Maybe just... <laughs> Beth. And so the teacher
1: of God, we feel as though we're being asked to give up that thing, whatever it is. And we think that that thing is what we really need. It's, we think that that thing is our best interest, but we're being asked to give it up. Well, for truth.
0: Not exactly. Not close, but no, not, not exactly. So, um, Let's go to sentence four. There is, however, so, okay, so the period of relinquishment we're talking about, and if this is interrupted, sorry, interpreted as giving up the desirable, it will engender enormous conflict. So just think about ripping the candy bar out of the child's hands. Right right? That would engender enormous conflict. So now, if you think of in sentence four here, or yeah, let's just go to three. Few teachers of God escape this distress entirely. So you, like me, are experiencing the distress, Tina, and maybe you are too, Beth. And so, well, it sounds like it's uh, 100% normal to experience distress when um, relinquishing negative habits, negative beliefs, negative patterns, that there's some distress, and that's normal. So if I'm in distress about it, I'm, it's normal. Uh, I'll take normal is the way I feel about it and you can totally feel differently if you like and we can talk about that but then sentence four is there is however no point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken all right so in sorting out the valuable from the valueless i'm going to give an example that came to me last week And actually, it keeps repeating in my mind over the last few weeks. Had I not experienced great distress, I might not have gone looking for the answer with as much determination. So was my pain, my suffering, my distress a bad thing or was it helpful? You see, if we're not in a position to do the sorting, there's no point in doing the sorting. Does that make sense, Beth?
1: Yeah, that's the contrast that you keep talking about.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, if there area, isn't
1: great contrast, we won't feel we'll moved to make the choice.
0: Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I don't need contrast now. I don't. Right. right. I, I mean, occasionally I, I've sensed some contrast, but I don't find it. I just, it's been a while since I've experienced things that were really gut wrenching and intense like they used to be. So, but yes, just so everybody understands here. So, like I said, um, I might have thought that my suffering was valueless. You know, I might have thought that even my self medication was valueless. Or the anger that I felt, the, you know, constant erupting in rage and anger, I might have thought that was valueless and a waste. But now, from where I sit now, I can see that that, none of that was a waste because that was the pain pushing me to find the better way. Had I been able to find a tolerable middle ground, maybe I would have stayed there for a lot longer. But when I got to a place that some might have called a tolerable middle ground, I said I can't I can't stay here. I can't stay here. But I do know a Course in Miracles teachers who have tremendous clarity and insight and whatnot and who are doing just that they're in that they they appear based on my conversations with them to love their liquor more than god sometimes and I, I don't I, I want to make it clear, I'm not judging that because everything serves God. Everything serves God in so many ways. And there's no question that I used to do that too. So I I get it. And that's why we don't do the sorting out. We turn it over. Take from me what's valueless. Anything that blocks the flow of love in my life, take it from me. I surrender it now. You'll hear that kind of thing, not in those words, but in slightly different words in my prayers all the time. We're making an offering of the blocks to love, the ones we know and the ones we don't know. We're handing them all over to the Holy Spirit, the ones that are hidden and the ones that are obvious. We're handing them all over. We do not have to sort them out because if we're ego identified and we're trying to sort it out, it's like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. It's just like, what are you doing? Don't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't need help with it just hand it over, hand it all over. So the period of overlap is the period between when you are clear what's valuable and what's not valuable. And it's that overlap. Um, So for instance, let's say, since Tina has been so generous um, with us and letting us in on her journey, which I ad- admire her honesty and her integrity with it tremendously, tremendously. I couldn't talk about it until I was through it. I couldn't talk. So I really admire you, Tina, for being able to talk about it while you're in it. I had too much self-judgment. Not that you don't have a lot of self-judgment. We You've shared with us that you do. But if if you were... But your experience right now, you will find in a few years time, it's incredibly helpful to you because you will probably end up counseling a lot of people who have, um, Been swirling in the shame of self-medication for a long time. It can't get out and you will be able to offer them a lifeline a hand that doesn't judge that offers support and love and understanding and kindness and that will help them make the journey across the river so much faster so much faster. And that's why it's so important for me to do that. For me to do that because I didn't know who I could talk with about it. I never told any of my prayer partners or my friends like, oh, my God, I stayed up so late drinking last night. I drank way too. I never said anything like that to anyone ever. Uh, I was too ashamed, too, too ashamed. And uh, not that it was shameful. Because there are a lot of spiritual teachers who secretly do that kind of thing you know there just are there are yeah I'd like to be
3: free of this before I counsel others I don't want to be still stuck in this and trying to trying to counsel other people
0: yeah I understand that and (laughs) and um one of the things I talk about in the intensive is when you start counseling, you're not going to be way out in front of your clients. Right. You might be one half a step in front of your clients.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It doesn't matter. Holy Spirit is organizing everything. If somebody is coming to you and saying, Can can you counsel me? You say yes. You say yes. That's, that was what I did. I, I said, God, if you're sending me somebody, then I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust that. And I'm not going to go, oh, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to trust. So that, that was part of my development of trust to trust that even if I felt completely overwhelmed with unworthiness, if spirit sent him to me, spirit knew what it was doing.
3: Thank you for the encouragement. appreciate it.
0: Yes, yes. You're answering the call. You're bravely answering the call. Just let all judgments go. That That's the work. And when you're in this, you know, um, two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one and a half steps back, you know, like that, um. There's great learning. It's not a mistake. Just, just remember to laugh. Remember to okay. laugh. Yeah, to remember to laugh. Have humility. Um. I'll give you uh, something that happened to me over the weekend. So, I I've been doing the Kirtan Kriya every day since like May 16th, I think last year. Um. So, I don't know how many days that is. Um, You know, 400 some days, right? 450 days or something like that. And uh, I've been doing my uh, yoga class on the um, um, elevation kriya for a year and a month. Every day, not missed a day. So I had a whole bunch of company this weekend, five people and, um, and venerable came over for dinner and we did all kinds of things and blah, blah. So Saturday morning, I got up super early. I, I did my yoga and a million other things. And I said, I'm going to do the Kirtan Kriya later so that I could, be it something else, and then come back and do the Kirtan Kriya. And I thought, you know, 11 minutes, it's no big deal, I'll do it later. And throughout the day, I said, I've got to remember to do it before I go to bed. I've got to remember to do it before I go to bed. And by the time I got into bed, like I got everybody in the house, everybody was in bed, and I I do meditation and prayers, uh, a whole thing that I do every night before bed anyway. So I did all of that, and I always take a shower. I did you know, I did all those different things and um, but and we we went to a fair. We were walking around for like three hours, four hours at the fair. and um, when it, when I got everything done. I, I just went to bed, you know, it was like 12, or whatever. When I went to bed, totally forgot the Kirtan Kriya. So like 450 days, perfect. You know, I did it every day without fail, no big deal. And sometimes I did do it at midnight, right? You know, the whole yoga and the Kirtan Kriya right before I went to bed. Uh, because I just didn't have time the rest of the day but I forgot and I didn't realize. And then I was like halfway through my day yesterday and I went, oh, I didn't do the Kirtan Korea yesterday. And I smiled and I did not have one of those Homer Simpson moments, I did not have that moment. I just went, I smiled, I went, oh, I missed the day. And I felt like, oh, this is good. I don't feel upset. I don't feel bothered. I'm just making a note and I'm making it with a smile. To me, that felt like a victory. It didn't feel like a failure that I missed the Kirtan Korea. It felt like a victory that I wasn't attached to it, even though I was committed to it. And I'm doing this every day. So, of course, I did it today and I'll do it tomorrow and I'll keep doing it until I don't want to do it anymore uh, or I'm guided not to do it anymore, even if I would like to do it. So, it's life be- can become like that. And I'm really glad to have that example about the Kirtan Kriya to just um, to be able to uh, have the humility even to say, it's okay. It's okay. It's like there's nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. Something actually has been gained because I remember to smile. And I can talk about it. I don't feel ashamed or nothing is wrong. Nothing bad happened. And so that's that's what I'm interested in is just being present in the moment. Does it matter that after 450 perfect days, I forgot? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean, oh, I I don't have to do it all the time now. I still feel committed to doing it because I enjoy doing it and I enjoy its effects, you know. So there's a lot of benefit from doing these kinds of finger things on the nervous system, on the mind, and training the mind, and things like that. So I'm, I'm committed to doing it, like I said. So, yeah. Being able to not let the ego be driving what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tina. So she writes in the chat here, this is a beautiful comment, Tina. She says, thank you for the reminder that I can hand over the task of sorting and relinquishing instead of gritting my teeth and straining to change. That's it, because otherwise, if we do it that way, Tina, which I have done it that way, and it did not help me, and that's why I know it didn't help me. It didn't help me then, but it helps me now, right? So it didn't help me stop self-medicating sooner, but it helps me not self-medicating anymore. And it helps me to teach about self-medicating now. So it still helps me. God uses everything for good. Everything, everything, everything. So one of the things I used to say to myself all the time when I didn't like how things were, Oh, I can't wait to see how God uses this for good. This will be cool. Yeah. Oh, this will be good. I can't wait to see this. So taking me out of punishing myself, chastising myself, and instead saying, I'm looking forward to the revelation of truth. That's what I'm looking forward to. So... No point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken. Therefore, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which the teacher of God feels called upon to sacrifice his own best interests on behalf of truth. So let's say if I think back to when I was self-medicating It's not that I would have thought, and I think this is important, it's not that I would have thought that self-medicating was in my own best interest. I didn't think that. I did not think that. I thought the opposite about that. I thought it was shameful. I thought it was in my worst interests, but I felt compulsive behavior. I was compulsive about it. It's like someone who is obsessively washing their hands until they're red and raw and chapped and in pain and cracking. And if you have ever seen someone going through that, it is it's painful just to look at it in a sense. I mean, it's you know, if you're an empathetic person, it's it's challenging to see someone going through something like that. So the person who's obsessively washing them their hands in their mind they they are there's the thought i need to do this to protect myself right from germs But at the same time, they know it's not helpful to them. At the same time, they know it's not good for them. At the same time, they know they're hurting them, their skin and their hands and generating more difficulty and more difficulty and reinforcing uh, self-destructive behavior. So the, the compulsion is, I have to be free of the germs, so we think. But it's really the unconscious guilt coming up for healing. So going back to this sentence that Beth is asking about, the period of overlap between uh, when you know what's valuable and when you don't, the, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which we feel called upon to sacrifice our own best interests. So the person who's obsessively washing their hands, if if they're being called upon to stop doing that, but they are on some level of their awareness thinking, but I need to do this in my own best interest. It, you can see it's tremendously conflicting, right? So I need to self-medicate. I need to tune out because I cannot stand this feeling. It's unbearable or because I feel compelled to do it. Like I've worked with clients who were um, compulsively having sex in ways that were not. Help, healthful to them, and um, they felt compelled to do it. They needed to do it. They they were watching themselves mentally. They could see themselves acting out. They knew it was not helpful to them, but they it was like they had to scratch the itch. The itch was not sexual. Believe me, it was not sexual. But they had just like the drinking is not, oh, I, I love being drunk. No, it's it, it but they have to scratch the itch, which isn't the consciousness. And the itch is to affirm, I am not good. I am bad. I am unlovable. I am out of control. I am the worst of the worst. I, I can't even maintain my uh, whatever. It's that's the itch to scratch. Just like if someone has a really gnarly scab and they can't stop picking at it until it gets infected, it's the same kind of thing. It's they know it's not good, they do not think it's in their own best interests but they just feel compelled compulsively to do it. Now, there are situations where perhaps someone would feel it was in their own best interest, like, um, (sighs) uh, what comes to mind is some kind of financial investment that they think it's their own best interest or maybe to um, get a second degree, right? That it's in their own best interest in terms of they'll get more money in their career and their parents will approve of them if they get a second PhD or something like that. Their old boyfriend will finally think they're smart or worthwhile or admire them. And there might be something like that. Whereas if they actually go through that plan, they will be, they know that they will be investing years of their life, not growing their consciousness and not enjoying their life. So, um, the, the truth is that it's not the highest and best for them, uh, on, on a, um, person on a spiritual level, but they think it is on a personality level and there's a conflict there. And again, remember, all conflict comes from thinking you want the peace of God, but you're not willing to take the steps necessary to experience it. Feel free to ask any follow-up questions because this is what clients are going to bring to you all the time. All the time.
3: Thank you for what you said about um, the, scratching that itch. Like, I, it, that feels really true to me that I'm, I'm trying to, I, and I don't know why, but I'm, I feel like I'm trying to reinforce my badness, my separation, that kind of thing. And I, I don't understand it, but that, that seems true.
0: Well, here's the thing. How long do you think you've had this idea about yourself? that you're bad?
3: Um, I think probably about about the last 12 years. There was a, a time where I um, kind of diverged from the my, my husband and my family in, in their beliefs and they were shocked and horrified and thought I was bad and I ended up getting divorced and my, you know, dad rejected me for a few years. And so I just felt like, Oh my gosh, if I'm going to, if they think I'm so bad, fine, I'm going to go be bad. And I, I just thought, wow, I must, I thought I was a good person. I thought everyone loved me and maybe I'm really bad. <laughs> and so I just reinforced that. I, I don't know. I, I just felt like I dove into that, that identity. Like, if everybody sees me as a bad person, I guess I will be as bad as I can be. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, so what I hear is it sounds like you're either trying to punish them.
3: I was at at one point, yeah. Uh
0: Uh-huh. You've invested heavily in this thought about yourself and if you just walk away from it, then what does it say about what you've done in the past? Like, you know, it's, it's like if somebody builds, like if you spent 12 years building a she shed and decorating it and making it fabulous... And then um, you realized, that's toxic for me. I can't have that and be happy. And you're just going to walk away. It would be hard to walk away because like, you picked out all these things. You invested all this. Think of how much money, time, and energy you've invested in this behavior and the thoughts around it, right? Right. Time, energy, money. The identity,
3: Entity. yeah,
0: yeah. It's a big investment. It's a big investment. It's part of our about, identity. When you talk about um,
3: like weaving a tapestry, you know, little stitch by stitch by stitch, that is how it felt when I um, had first started to try to break free from my drinking. I feel like there's, it's it's been harder than I thought because of right. Letting go of that identity and trying to see myself differently. I, I'm starting to, but it's, it's a process.
0: Yeah. Think about this. Instead of trying to do it in a hurry, just keep saying, uh, uh, there's no hurry. What I'm interested in is thoroughly eliminating any idea that I am less than Perfect. There's no hurry. I'd rather rather be thorough than quick.
3: Thank you. Yeah, that's good to good for me to think about because I I do feel like like I'm in some kind of hurry because <laughs> I think well I don't want to still be struggling with this when I'm counseling other people and but even then there's there's no hurry to dive into that either. I go when I'm ready.
0: Yeah, and when we're trying to be in a hurry, what what we're doing is we're really making it last longer. We because mm-hmm. we keep looking at it and going it's not happening, it's not happening. It's like if you're you've got the, I have an electric kettle because there's no other effective way to make water boil for tea except an electric kettle. And I mean, you can you put a kettle on the stove. God bless you if you're still doing that. Um, you can tell I have. I'm just being silly about it, but <laughs> truly, it, it, the Brits—they figured it out. They're the tea makers and the tea drinkers, and they—they they know their business. They're in a hurry for that cuppa. So, um, yeah. yeah. Even though they often put way more water in the kettle than you need, I don't understand that.
3: I do that too.
0: <laughs> A lot of people do. A lot of people do. I put just enough because I'm in a hurry. So, um, no, I, I, it's about also energy efficiency. Anyway, um, if you're standing there, I have a glass kettle. I like a glass kettle because when I lived in New York, I did my kettle on the stove. And one time I poured the water into my cup and there were baby roaches in it. So ever since then, I've wanted a glass kettle. So anyway, so I could see if anything crawled in there overnight. Um, you know, New York City has roaches. So anyway, um, uh, even in the nicest buildings. And um, so just imagine standing there and watching the water come to a boil. It's not It's not helpful. It's not a good way to use your time. You can go do something else and come back. That's the other beauty of the electric kettle. There's no whistle. It just shuts off when it's done and you come back when you're ready. And you can hear it shut off uh, from most places in the house and you can just go and it's a magical, magical device. So, um, but I, I, I don't ever stand there and watch it boil. So, but that's what we do when we're trying to give up negative behavior. We're like standing there watching it boil, come to a boil. Like, am I going to self-medicate? Am I going to trash myself today? I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I feel it boiling. I feel it boiling. Oh, wait, no, I'm feeling some healing. I'm feeling some healing. It's just, I mean, good yeah, thank you. Yeah, so instead of, of just release your uh, uh, attachment to it's good or bad, just know that every morsel of your experience, God will use it for good, and you're excited about that.
3: Yes. And I I do see a lot of of healing. There's a lot of times I can see my magnificence and my oneness and my perfection and increasing love. I mean, just feeling more love for myself and others.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't really, maybe I would be interested if any other course of miracles teachers are talking about self-medication the way I do, but Mm -hmm. I I just know it's so common for spiritual students to be attached, obsessive, compulsive, addicted uh, to different things. It's just part Mm -hmm. of our spiritual growth to give it up because like, um, yeah, yeah.
3: Thank you for this safe place to to be able to be honest and and talk about these things. I appreciate that.
0: Yes well you contribute to it by your sharing your sharing helps make it a safe place you make it a safe place for others that's why i'm saying i know that your I, I mean i feel it so strongly tina that your your consciousness is going to use every bit of your experience to help others so don't be hard on yourself now remember to laugh let it be neutral, and, and uh, just yeah. look forward to the time you feel free rather than beating yourself up at all anymore. Just let it be neutral.
3: I, w- I would so love to be able to help other people past any yeah. kind of self-medication and compulsive behaviors. I would so love that, that this would all be useful.
0: In the mind of God, it's already happening. Good. Yeah. 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 Steve.
1: Yes. Um, golfers try to use that analogy if they, like when you were, missed your uh, yoga sessions and, and so forth, and you didn't condemn yourself. The same as with golfers, do that. They, if they make a a bad shot, they try not to condemn themselves because it's already in the past, and uh, they try not to use condemn themselves. And uh, anyway, that's that's and that's real important is to, to go on to the future instead sort of looking back at what what happened and so forth. So anyway, the golfers do the same thing, same thing you did. You laughed at yourself. You get it the next day. Life goes on.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes.
1: It's better than throwing your clubs.
0: (laughs) It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. I mean, gosh, if I had been a golfer back in the day, (laughs) I'd gone through so many golf clubs, so many golf clubs. Beth, any more questions about this section? Not at the moment. I think that that was very helpful.
1: (laughs) You know, on any given day when something comes up, it's a different section that's got you bugging. But it's all good. I I appreciate you spending so much time on that. I realize it's not a course study time, but
0: I appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. I never get tired of talking about it. Anybody else have any questions about anything? Araba.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, So I have a client who is working with anger. And um, anger is sort of new for me. That's not the tone and the place and the feeling that I typically go. Right. Um, And so it's been what I see is the judgments and the desire to be right. And and that that is her, that's how she knows herself, right? And so she goes there, but then she's condemning herself for going there. But she doesn't really want to leave there either because she likes the idea of being right. And so I I just, since I'm not really familiar with anger, I thought I'd bring it up here um, for you might be able to discuss when anger is your go-to sort of, how do you move through that?
0: Yeah. So for me, anger was my go-to for sure, for sure. A hundred percent. And, um, I I think it helps to understand it. So you'll remember that I've talked about anger as a symptom, like a cough is a symptom. And so the cough is not the problem. The cough is a symptom of the problem. And anger is a symptom. It's not the problem. Underneath anger is always fear. And underneath the fear is some kind of hurt, is what I have always found. Some kind of hurt, and the person is angry because they're afraid that they're going to be hurt again in a way that's similar to an old hurt that hasn't healed. It's like being afraid you're going to be poked in a wound that's an open, festering wound. And you just can't stand it. So anger is to push people away. And anger is also to alert us to, hey, there's a fire in the building, do something. It's like smoke, you know, or like the cough. Oh, there's something irritating your throat in your lungs, do something. So anger is extremely helpful. So helping your client see that, that anger is letting us know we've got a really strong fear about an old wound that we think is getting um, poked at. And so uh, looking at it logically, really objectively, Um, And, and, you know, subjectively, too, and it's particularly if someone is the anger is showing up as they need to be right, um, then it's very subjective. Right. They're just seeing it through their lens, their perspective, um, helping them identify what is the hurt that they're protecting with the anger. And helping them to see the anger is not bad, it's helpful. What's not helpful is the need to be right. The need because the need to be right will oftentimes cause us to Hurt others in in a sense of we we might try to make them be stupid or show how wrong they are, um, trigger some kind of things in them to get them to back down and admit we're right. Um, so there can be a very high high cost relationship-wise, to needing to be right all the time. And I, I definitely had that. What That need to be right all the time, it hides a deep insecurity. It hides a deep insecurity. And being able to give that up has been so helpful to me. There are times now... When I feel like occasionally someone is coming to me um, from uh, from a counseling perspective, like they're coming to the teacher for some insight, but what they really want me to do is to affirm that they're right, and so and I have a different perspective on it than they do. And they don't quite hear me, then I think sometimes it can seem like I need to be right, but I'm really just trying to make my point and I don't feel heard. But, and that's that can also be what people who do feel a need to be right a lot because they feel so deeply vulnerable um, that they oftentimes won't hear what other people have to say. They won't agree to disagree, and they um, have to make disparaging comments and tear the other person down in some way if the person doesn't agree with them. So that's when you can tell, oh, I'm acting out of insecurity here. So another thing that can help a client who wants to be right all the time is um, to gently ask them, do you think you are right all the time? Like what percentage of the time that you feel you're right? Are you actually right? Or is it just you're fighting for your opinion to be heard? But you might actually not be right. You know, see if you can find out if there's anything like that happening in there. And then um, see about... Do you think other people can tell that you're fighting to be right when you're not actually listening to what other people are saying and people are thinking you're intolerant or you're disrespectful? What do you think other people think about this? Because just getting some perspective can be helpful. It was helpful to me to think Oh, I'm arguing to be right like this, but if I widen my view, I'll see, because I feel so vulnerable, I can't bear to be wrong. I don't want anybody to think I'm wrong, but everybody can see I'm belligerent or I'm obnoxious or something like that. And so I'd rather zip it and say, let's just agree to disagree rather than, Appear belligerent, obnoxious, unkind, things like that. So, just asking, well, you know, what are what do you think other people feel and think when that's going on? When you're fighting like that, and when you're angry like that, what do you think? Uh, you know. S- and a good way to do it is to ask them to put their hands on their heart, you know, like I do all the time and say, let's just tune in and think of a time when you are arguing to be right. What do you think was going on in the minds of the other people you were talking with? What was going on in their heart? How, how do you think they were feeling? Why do you think they were saying what they were saying? To help them have more um compassion and and just a a, a bigger picture and in cuz then they might rethink it and go yeah okay i was right but maybe it's not worth dying on that battlefield maybe i'd rather live to be right another day in this relationship Because I used to think, just one quick second here, I used to think, you know what, F them if they don't agree with me. That's it. You know, if they don't want to be my friend because I'm right and they're obnoxiously fighting for their rightness when they're so wrong, who needs a friend like that? I would find any way to justify that I was right and they were wrong and I'm a better person, so what do I need them for? You know, and I sacrificed friendships because of that. Yeah. Amanda. So in a counseling situation, if you're asking those questions and there's that wall is still there, like
1: are um, pushing through that wall? Or are you just posing a question? And if they still say, well, I'm right, you know,
0: most of the time, or I don't know what they were, you know, like, so if you get pushback, back, like if they're not, exploring what is actually happening. Do you drive forward or do you just leave it? Yeah, I I just leave it, especially with somebody who wants to be right all the time. You pushing against them isn't, but if you can get them to put their hands on their heart and close their eyes and tune in, trust the Holy spirit to guide them. Even if it's just a flash that they'll look at later. You know, maybe it's just planting that little mustard seed that's going to grow between this session and the next session. They'll have a little more humility, a little more willingness, a little more self-compassion. Because remember, somebody who's in that kind of belligerent, arguing, needing to be right all the time, they feel deeply insecure. So you making them wrong, they will no longer trust you. They won't feel safe with you, but if you can, if they can feel that you're on their side, which of course you are, but if you need to be right, pray for yourself. (laughs) Seriously. But it's also important. It's like, I don't need to be right here, but I just want to make sure, are you actually hearing me? And sometimes people won't hear you. They won't hear you. They'll say they're hearing you, but you can tell. The thoughts are not cohesive and coherent in their mind. They're hearing the words. They can repeat them back. You know, it's just like you can read a sentence. All thought produces form at some level. I know that. I understand that. But then, but you just said, so-and-so's a jerk who's never going to ever listen to you. So if all thought produces form at some level, why would you say that out loud? Do you see? And then they're like, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz, you know? But we're all like that, right? We're all like that until we're not. So it's. The main thing is for them to trust you, to feel safe with you, because they feel so vulnerable. And there's other things that are going on because, you know, if they're being self-destructive or if they're... um, doing things that are destructive to others. We we can't know that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We can't know that. I just, I don't have that sense of it. It's just how, how I might work with, help them work with their anger um, because that is what, they keep going back around and around, you know, then having anger and then being upset that they have the anger and they've, you know, acted on the anger. And that seems to be a little bit of a loop. So I think widening the perspective and asking those sort of questions about their perception might help get to that hurt, whatever that hurt is underneath. And then we could, we could look at that hurt and begin to, to see, what more from there. But I, I appreciate hearing about the trust aspect of it, um, especially being a sensitive area. Unfortunately, I don't need to be right. So that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Helping them to find the, the hurt and to work with the hurt directly. that That's the thing that I find is most helpful. Great question. Go ahead, Beth. Just quickly, is
1: it helpful to say typically underneath of anger there's a hurt? Let's look at it.
0: But do it the way that, yes. But I always do it the way I explained right. it. Just, right. That right. anger is really helpful. It's not a bad thing. Right. When we direct it at people and we become hurtful that's that's a bummer, but it's still alerting us to the fire down below.
1: Right. Yeah, I got that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So helping them see the logic of it. Because it, 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 then you're not making that you're telling them, hey, something good is actually happening here. We just need to shift our view of it. And then they 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 can Uh, If they're interested, they can, when they feel anger rising, they can actually train themselves as I did to go, there's a hurt coming up for healing. I don't have to get angry. I can address the hurt. I don't have to yell at people. I don't have to shame them. I don't have to cut them off and interrupt them and shut them down and tell them they're wrong or do any of those things. I can get quiet. I can notice the hurt and I can use everything to help me heal instead of defending and needing to be right. And of course, the whole thing about um, being right is sometimes... We do go into that defensive posture, and if we can recognize that the defensive posture is really, I have a secret need to attack. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was so helpful to really get that. I used to be so defensive. But wait a minute, wait a minute. What about these people? These people are doing the same thing and nobody's attacking them. Why are you attacking me? It's because you don't like me. It's got nothing to do with i'm what I'm doing. I'm you know, just defending and defending and attacking and defending. Because and... I, I was like a cat, just like, get away, get away, get away. Because I felt so desperately insecure. Because I 100% believed I was fundamentally bad and I didn't want anybody to see. But thank God for all of that because now I have compassion and I can be helpful. Thank God for all of it. Even though it was awful, thank God for every bit of it. Because I celebrate every day, every day I celebrate truly. I'm not in it anymore and I can help people get out of it. And it's not that I just get to help one person get out of it. I get to help lots of people get out of it and I get to help people who are going to help other people get out of it. And that is victory to me. It's worth everything I went through and more. Yeah. Same is true for you. Thank you, everybody. Let's pray. We are grateful. We're thankful that love is our true nature and our true identity. We're grateful and thankful to give it all over to the Holy Spirit. We're grateful to celebrate the love that we are, the perfection, the wholeness, the beauty, the magnificence, the Christ shining through. No matter what we do, the Christ is shining through. It's unstoppable as us. And we are grateful to know that this is so. We're willing to give up any idea that we're unworthy. We're willing to give up any idea that we're bad. We are willing to stand in the light of truth and accept our wholeness and our goodness. And to recognize it in our brothers and sisters We are grateful to let the healing be. And so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. See you again soon.